morning, New Life. Um, the, the song we just sang really encapsulates this entire message this morning, and that would be clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, and a really, really, really good God. Um, so as we dive in, um, this is probably going to feel a little bit like a fire hydrant, drinking out of one of those bad boys. Um, so if you're a note taker, uh, maybe get your phone, your notes out, uh, pen and pen and pencil, uh, that sort of thing. We've got a lot of content to go through, probably ideally split up into a, a couple different sermons, but we're just going to dive in and do it all this morning. Um, so be prepared for that. As we go through, I'm just going to give us a little bit of a snapshot of where we are. Um, this is going to be up close, personal, uh, raw, real to our lives, like kind of trenches warfare, mud under your fingernails. Uh, style sermon this morning. So if we could get that first slide up, this will just give you a good context of where we're headed. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is just take a real, real life local look example of the, of the war that we're in, the spiritual war that we're in. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to ask this question, can a true believer be attacked, influenced, or potentially even possessed by, by a demon? That's a doozy, right? Number three, how do we take our stand in the spiritual war uh, against our enemy? And then number four, what would it look like to put on the full armor of God as we live our lives in, in Jesus? Uh, we're twice uh, this morning, we're also going to just take a pause and allow our hearts and our souls kind of to catch up because there's so much content and so much that we'll be doing. Uh, we'll, we'll pause twice for like 20 seconds or 30 seconds um, and, and just encourage you in those moments to say, Lord, what do, you, what do you have to say to me? How are you communicating to me? What journey do you have me on? And, uh, and scratch down a few notes, write some things, spend time in prayer. It won't be long, but I just do want you to know that that's coming uh, for our hearts and our souls just to take a deep breath and to digest the journey that we've kind of been going through. Here's the war that we are in. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, Satan and his demons hate God. They, hate, they are hell-bent on defaming the name of God. They want to undermine the sufficiency and the accomplished work of Jesus. And they want to minimize the power of the Holy Spirit. They've already lost. And they're trying to scratch and claw and take anything down with them that they can. They hate that God loves us, and so they hate us as well. Nothing would give them more pleasure than to see you completely and totally incapacitated from ministry and life in God, bound up, full of guilt, full of shame, full of doubt, full of confusion. They want that for your children. They want that for you. They want that for your grandchildren, your spouse, the person sitting next to you. This isn't VeggieTales version with Larry and Bob. Uh, the, the spiritual world and the spiritual warfare that's in front of us is real. And uh, awareness is a big thing. We can't, we can't fight something that we don't even recognize as being in front of us. If we say to ourselves, you know, here in the West, the spiritual battle is, is essentially unseen, under the radar, kind of hidden, not really in our faces, one of the big mistakes that we could make is to make, is come to the conclusion that this basically has no impact on my life. And so we're going to take a look at a couple things here locally and then even just local to our church um, to just kind of square the reality uh, in, in the face of that the spiritual war is right in front of us. Uh, this is from a local article a couple of years ago. One of our local papers, it reads like this. Reynolds High School, scene of a We Still Pray rally, might soon be seeing another religious gathering. This time, a religious pagan, pagan group is asking to use the facilities. The Appalachian Pagan Alliance sent Leonard's letters to Reynolds' principal and the Buncombe County superintendent asking to hold a We Still Work magic rally, stating that because Reynolds High was used by one religious group, it should be available to all others. If you live on that side of town, you might even remember that. 
A local paper ran an article on the 20th annual event called the Public Witch Ritual, as they have named it. Events are held at the French Broad River Park, Pritchard Park, and other public parks over the years. The event encourages witches to wear their pentagrams, their capes, and to cast spells publicly uh, to promote awareness of their witchy goodliness. So that's 20, 20 years running. One of our papers ran a piece about a local witch. The author of the article calls himself a local pastor and introduces this witch by saying, I've known Maka Nightmare for many years. I met with her through our local interfaith council and we share leadership in special events and services. They together teach an online course that they call a seminary, which I thought was interesting, teaching pagan students to seek, that are seeking uh, chaplaincy positions in prisons, hospitals, and other institutions around the Asheville area. Uh, there's an in-depth article involving a reporter experiencing and reporting on an entire satanic blood ritual during the eclipse uh, not too long ago and published that in one of our local news outlets. And then we just made the national scene, Asheville did. Uh, national Geographic actually just ran an article in March talking about the rise in, in paganism and uh, tagged Asheville as a hotbed and encouraged people to come experience uh, the pagan traditions right here uh, on, our, on our front doorstep. So there's a lot going on in town. Uh, we're also gonna just make it a little bit more personal to our church life and our church community right here. Uh, one of our members, uh, as a child, had a dark presence walk across their bedroom and uh, come to approach them while they were laying in their bed. As they recounted that story to their family, uh, their family didn't believe them and actually still teases them about that to this day. Uh, one member of our church used to party in hot springs and said if there was ever a portal from hell to earth, that house was probably one of them. Uh, all manners of wickedness and evil took place there on a regular basis, and there were interactions with dark presences on a regular basis. One member of our church was approached by a parent of a Christian family asking for help in uh, mentoring and discipling their teenager. This teen was exploring uh, becoming a Druid and ended up finding a group of practicing Druids up on the Blue Ridge Parkway, participating in a satanic blood sacrifice ritual. Uh, one member of our church was in an, in, in an early morning Bible study with a friend and was plagued with seeing visions of her own children hanging from nooses on the deck of the house as the headlights would go by the home in the morning. Uh, this was obviously uh, used as trying to dissuade her in kind of a fear and control attempt to keep her from attending those early morning Bible studies. I uh, personally uh, have gotten to know many people who have had experience with distorted faces, hearing voices, the inability to hear, inability to speak, inability to focus, sudden sleep when the gospel is being presented, um, the, the list kind of goes on in terms of like night terror, sleep paralysis, anxiety, depression, dark forms, those sorts of things. Um, I have family members who've had demonic activity in their own home, opening and closing doors, knocking things off walls. I have a family member who threw uh, a box of Magic the Gathering game cards into a fire. And this was a large fire, big bed of coals, and it ended up taking over four hours for the fire to completely consume uh, this paper, essentially. And they stoked it multiple times, had prayed over the fire. Um, a family member who played an incantation game uh, unknowingly and seemingly innocently, and in doing that, um, opened a portal uh, to the occult world and ended up invoking a demonic presence uh, uh, into their lives unintentionally and accidentally. I've personally encountered uh, dark forms, demonic presences personally in my life, actually on multiple occasions, 
And even just here recently, we've had some things in our own home and our own family. And, and the spiritual world is, 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 is kind of dark and dirty and like uh, cheap shots, you know, like going after our own homes. And uh, Michelle and I just recently uh, were experiencing even a fair amount of like dissension and tension between us that really didn't seem to make sense, miscommunications, misunderstandings, and just reached out to a couple of people from the church and asked them to pray. And it was interesting how even that just began to lift. And so let's not, let's not uh, assume that they're not coming after us and coming after our hearts. We do, not, we do not live in a spiritual desert here in Ash. We live in a very spiritually alive place. And the cool part about that is um, because the spiritual world is alive and well, that Jesus can be on display very easily. If we don't have to convince somebody that the spiritual reality is true, the light and the beauty and the truth and the supremacy of God can be just latched onto so easily. So I encourage you with that as we think about our local context here. Going through some of those stories, you may have thought like, okay, guy on stage, fancy stories, those sorts of things. You really didn't use that much scripture. Um, I want to put up a slide that just does show the scripture in the, in Bi- in the Bible um, that speak to these sorts of things. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but I'd encourage you to get your cell phone out. Maybe just take a picture of that slide. If this is something that you want to study through, think through, uh, learn, we're just going to leave that there for like maybe a minute or so. So grab your phone, snap a shot of that, and then maybe even keep your phone handy <laughs> because we'll do that a couple different times. Just We don't have the time to dive all the way into it, so I'll ask you to take a picture of something. Um, Again, not an exhaustive list, but as I've been studying, I just started to write down and then can kind of compile that. So this is what God's word has to say about the spiritual world and the spiritual realities that we encounter all day, every day. I'd like you to know this morning that you are not only battling your flesh. We battle the flesh, we battle the world, but that's not all. Your enemy would love to get you to think that the true battle, maybe the most prominent battle, the only battle you really face is the flesh. Uh, But we have a real enemy who is seeking to kill and steal and destroy. So why say all this? Like why go through the stories? Why do all that? And again, it's just, it's that awareness factor. So as a church, for us to come together and link arms and say, you know what, Um, we know. And we're not gonna bury our heads. We're not gonna um, pretend it doesn't exist. I mean, sometimes I think maybe we, we try to be like that kid in class uh, when we were younger and we didn't want to get called on. So just kind of keep our head down. Don't make eye contact. If I just pretend that, you know, that's not out there, then it's not going to affect my life. And in the spiritual dimension, I think we end up looking a little silly, you know, like we're trying to hide in plain sight. So let's, let's look the enemy in the eyes and let's stand on the truth and the authority and the power in Jesus because the victory in the battle is already won. So here's what I'm guessing. As we go through this series, um, I'm, I'm, go- I'm guessing and I'm hoping at the same time that some of us from this church will find ourselves in a coffee shop, in a living room, face-to-face conversation with somebody who's dealing with some of the things we may have just talked about. And you, you have and we have now an opportunity not to have that person just feel like they're brushed to the side. Like, oh, you have an overactive imagination or you're just seeing things, or you just maybe kind of made that up in your head. If, if, when you interact with somebody who is talking in these sorts of ways, I hope as a church body that we can meet that person there and we can say, you know what? You're not crazy. And the spiritual world is alive and it's real. And guess what? Jesus is better. He's more powerful. He's already won. He's victorious. And let me tell you about him. Uh, some of us may be thinking of a, a conversation that we've already had. And it's like, oh man, 
I've got to go back and I need to call that person and make that right and just have a short conversation with them. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I, I brushed that off. I, I kind of just threw that under the table. Um, I know more now. I'm, I'm better equipped and I'd like to, let's, let's talk. And again, let's talk about Jesus and his power and his authority, which is greater than any darkness. So please don't Im- immediately sell someone short on that. Uh, if you don't believe them, uh, just come Come talk to me. Tell them to come talk to me. I'll talk to them about it. Um, everything that you need to know from this morning um, is already in content that I've looked through. I'm going to put a slide up here. Um, and again, if you grab your cell phone and just take a picture of this, if you want to study more, know more, learn more, um, there are a lot of resources out there, really, really good books from Christ-centered, godly people that have done a lot of work, a lot of study, honestly, even have a lot of life experience and they've written well, the podcast, there's a, a core course study from Dr. Marcus Warner that goes all through. Each one of them is like 45 minutes at a shot and there's like eight or nine. So the depth that, that you can study um, is, is deep. So, so look for those. If you wanna come find me at the end, I've got like a top three that if you're like, okay, that's a lot, what should I do? I can kind of give you like a one, two, three uh, to go with and I'd be happy to do that. So we just looked kind of square in the face at some stories. Uh, in town and like here personal to our church family and our church community. And if I'm you, I'm thinking, okay, if that's real and the demonic world is out there, we do have a real enemy, what does that mean for me? Uh, One of the questions that we're gonna ask is, can I be attacked or influenced by a demonic spirit, right? I'm assuming that's something that we're we're wondering. What does that look like? And please know that I, I didn't use the word possessed on purpose. And there's a reason for that. Um, when, when scripture has been translated to English for us, demon is actually a Greek word. So that was not translated over. When you're reading in English and you come to an account, whether it's the gospels or wherever, and a demon is mentioned, that's a Greek word just brought straight over to our scriptures. And so you're probably wondering, well, where did the phrase demon possession even come from? And that's when scholars tried to translate the verb form of demon, which would be demon idzomai. That's demonic activity, something taking place in a verb uh, tense uh, of the demonic world. And, the, and what they did is they then used the phrase demonic possession, which is unfortunate because there's nothing expressed or implied in, in that phrasing that would mean possession to us. And so it's really, really important for us to know, and maybe we just kind of like bond our hearts together and around the truth that God, God is the only owner, he's the only creator, and he's the only possessor. Amen? Ephesians chapter four, uh, or chapter one, verse 14, talks about us being sealed and marked in the Holy Spirit and that we are God's possession. We are the Lord's, we are his, um, he is owner, he is possessor, we're, blo- we're bought by the blood of Jesus. And that's almost kind of probably even a little bit of a pressure relief, right? Like when we're talking about this conversation, it's like, okay, that actually feels good. I'm happy to take that word possessed. We'll set that to the side. And so then the real question we're actually asking then is as blood-bought Christians, if we do have um, the opportunity to be influenced or uh, harassed or attacked, how does that happen? And the answer to that is unconfessed sin, okay? Sin, unconfessed being the key word, basically gives the enemy access to our lives. So sin in, in its most basic form, and you probably have heard this all growing up, would be missing the mark. 
And oftentimes, uh, archery is a great example. If, uh, if perfection and holiness, be holy therefore because I am holy, God says. If that's the bullseye and that's what we're aiming for, we miss left, low, right, high. Like, welcome to life, right? We, we're, we're aiming to be holy as God is holy, but we fall short and we miss the mark. That, that is sin. When scripture talks about transgression, that is something slightly different in the category of sin, but now we're talking different implications. Um, willful and willingly walking into sin ends up becoming transgression. You knew it and you did it anyway. Think premeditated. Anybody ever been there before? I know this is not God honoring. I know this is not righteous. I know that this is not what God has for me and I'm just gonna do it and I'm gonna walk into it because it's what my flesh wants and, and I'm, I'm just gonna go for it. Like I have been there many times and I know you have as well. That's transgression. Now iniquity, when scripture talks about iniquity, that is longstanding, deep-seated, willful transgression against God. So like think dump truck loads, you know, like just kind of dumping and piling and accumulating. Um, it often has to do with our family lines our bloodlines, and then like when you think of scripture, when it talks about generational sin, that's what iniquity is. It's the accumulation of sin of a people or even your own personal life that begins to snowball and take on mass. Sin has mass in the spiritual world when it's unconfessed. Unconfessed sin left to pile up will amount to something, it accumulates. Um, we're going to put this on the screens for you. Dr. Marcus Warner says that there is no more condemnation, and that's from Romans 8.1. However, it doesn't mean that there are no more consequences, and that's important for us to remember. The beauty of the truth that there is no more condemnation, amen to that, because we need that all day, every day, but it doesn't mean that there are no more consequences. So we've probably heard a lie over and over in our lives that when we sin, nothing really happened. Nothing really changed. Think back to the Garden of Eden of Satan just coming in and just planting doubt and undermining. Like, I'm not really sure that actually had some major impact on my life. Well, what happened was something you probably didn't even realize, and that when sin comes into our life and we have an open door that is unresolved with the Lord, that essentially gives the enemy the ability to take something from us. I don't even think that we knew we were giving up. And to understand that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. And that'll be there for us to read together. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Probably familiar to you. Probably quoted it. Probably been around a fair amount of times. And that's a cute little phrase on the beginning um, that we often uh, send to someone who's going to get married. And it's like, hey, don't go to sleep mad at each other. And that, which is a good principle, right? We should do that. And you, if you have, you should continue. That's great. But it really, it misses the real rugged truth of what God's word is trying to deliver to us uh, through this passage. And that's this. When God says, don't let the sun go down, what he means is keep a short account. Keep a short account of sin. Do not delay in confessing sin. Confess immediately. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and the interesting thing is, you can put anything in that spot that you'd want to. Don't let the sun go down on your pride. Keep a short account with 
your, your sexual sin. Keep a short account with your self-righteousness. Keep a short account with the pride that you battle every day. That's, that's what God is communicating to us. Confess your sin immediately because you don't want to give the devil a foothold. And a foothold or a handhold is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Think of rock climbing. So if you're rock climbing, you have to have something to hold on to. Otherwise, you'll just slide right off the face of the rock. So when we have unconfessed sin, which is a door that's left open to the enemy, that gives the enemy something to hold on to in our lives. Unconfessed sin gives the enemy permission. It's essentially in the spiritual world, legal grounds to have a place. The original Greek, when it talks about um, this battle that we're in, is, it's a wartime phrase. And topos or topos, which is where we get the word for topography, literally means a space, a place, or a territory. And if you imagine two, two people fighting over a battleground and we're trying to take control and territory, that, that's essentially the, word, the, what we're, the battle that we're in with our souls. And so as we have unconfessed sin, that's allowing the enemy to come in and own and occupy space in our hearts and our lives and our spirits. And as we cancel ground and we submit that to the Lord, we confess sin, we get to take that territory and that ground back in our lives. That's the battle that we're in. So hear this loud and clear. Unconfessed sin opens doors to the demonic world and influence in our lives. Uh, and we're going to run with that analogy of doors and garage doors. So just kind of keep that in your mind. Um, this is from Dr. Marcus Warner as he teaches through. He uses those two phrases, which I think are really helpful. Uh, a door to, to your life and my life uh, that would be like a normal size entrance would be the sin that we're, we're probably all too familiar with. You know, it's like unforgiveness. So unconfess and unforgiveness in my heart opens my, opens myself to the enemy's tactics. Fear, fear over our kids maybe, fear over safety, fear of getting sick, fear of dying, fear of someone leaving you, lies, lies that I believe about myself that are not true, lies that I speak audibly to other people, uh, sexual sin in the spiritual world that's called a soul tie. And there's a whole conversation even on that. Uh, worry, lack of contentment, pride, a critical spirit, gluttony, self-righteousness. These are the things that, are, that make up our all day, every day. And these are doors to our lives that we need to be very careful with and make sure that we close really quickly. Inner vows should probably make the list. And oftentimes this would happen after a particularly traumatic event in life. Have you ever been in a place where something happened to you and you said to yourself, you know, I'm never gonna trust God with that part of my life again or I'm never going to trust the Holy Spirit's leading in that, in that particular way. Pay attention to the ways that you may have said always, and maybe the ways that you have said never to yourself as you relate to your relationship with God. Uh, this is from Rich Miller, a quote that's going to be on the screen. Uh, our enemies can be originators, and they can be manipulators. They originate new sin in our lives, which obviously is temptation, and they can manipulate, magnify, and expound on wounds, hurts, and trauma. That's what our enemy is seeking to do. So though I feel like we probably got a good handle on the garage door. In this conversation, we need to be true to the full conversation and talk about what would be, I'm sorry, I said garage door, didn't I? Uh, to the doors in our lives. In the conversation, we also need to be true to the fact that there are garage door sized things where we can open ourselves to the enemy's tactics. And that would be the world of the occult. And I'm going to put this up on the screen as well. Uh, might be one you just want to take a picture of and think about later. I'll read a couple of them. Uh, spirit guides. 
um, potentially you know, disconnecting your consciousness and acting, asking spirit guides to lead you, healers, astral projections, uh, Ouija boards, uh, magic cards, amulets, mediums, spiritists, psychics, seances, witches, witchcraft, covens, druids, channeling. Um, some Eastern um, religions will ask you to repeat, repeat phrases and mantras over and over and over again that you don't even understand what you're saying. It's obviously something to be very careful with. And I know yoga is kind of a touchy one, you know, like, is it sanctified? Is it not sanctified? Well, there are definitely some, some versions of yoga that are, are very demonic in their roots. And so be aware of the fact that the third eye of Shiva, if that is surrounding any yoga practice that you may be interested in, that's something to be really careful of. Uh, come talk to me later or Rich Miller if you want to know a little bit more about that. And then the second one would be Kundalini Shakti Yoga. Uh, Kundalini is a god or a, a, de a demonic force that seeks to wrap uh, itself in a, in a serpent-like manner around your spine during that yoga practice. So these are things just to know. Garage door type things where we, we dip our toe or we step into the occult world, that is like a big giant green light above your head where it's like you are inviting the enemy to have full access to you. All of these occult practices usually at some point seek to offer some sort of special revelation, some sort of special knowledge, some sort of special power that would come from outside of us and influence our lives. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is extremely clear that uh, there are only two ways that special knowledge can come to us, and that would be through the demonic world or it would be through the spirit of God who is the spirit of truth, which is obviously who we're trying to graft ourselves to. I'm gonna put a few things just on the, on the discussion table, essentially, just to put them out there so that you're aware of them, you've heard them. Uh, satanic ritual abuse is something that is grotesquely evil and wicked and is wrapped into a lot of the occult practices. Um, ancestral sin is a big one. Uh, one of the guys that I was reading has been doing deliverance-style ministries, freedom ministries for over 45 years, and he says 95% of the people that he works with uh, in, his, in his opinion, are, are dealing with some sort of demonic influence in their life because of bloodline or ancestral line generational iniquity. There's that word again, right? So that attaches to us and it can even go through our family lines. Um, there are regional, territorial spirits, objects can be dedicated to the demonic world, and institutions can be de dedicated to the demonic world. Um, so this morning, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, uh, okay, whether either accidentally or intentionally um, you've been around the occult world or you know someone in your family has been involved in the occult world, uh, please come find me at the end or find Rich because that's almost like varsity level access that's been given to you and your family line. And there are very specific things that God has given us to break those and, and, and free from the bondage and find freedom in Christ. So that's just a little point of if, that, if the occult world has been around your life, Come talk to us because there's, there's specific things we can do to walk you into the freedom that Jesus offers. Before we end this, this part of the morning, I want to take an opportunity just to shine a little bit of light on the enemy's tactics. And, you know, as we're getting attacked, harassed, ridiculed, accused, what does that sound like? Like, what sort of tools could we have as a church to know when that's actually coming from the enemy? And this is really important for us to know in terms of how the Holy Spirit works versus how our enemy works and what their tactics are. The Holy Spirit, when he is in your life and he's convicting you of sin, he's gonna convict you of specific sin. If I wrong Mike, the Holy Spirit is gonna remind me of a, of a situation where I have 
sinned against Mike in probably a time, a place, and very specifics about it. And that is something that I can confess to the Lord and I can get back to serving Jesus because that is the point of the life that God has brought to us, right? God does not bind us up. He doesn't hold us back. He is freeing us and he is loosing us to have impact on the world around us. So the point of confession of sin is to close that account, to be done with it and move on to the full life that Jesus has brought to us. That's what the Holy Spirit does in freeing us from sin. Now, what does our enemy want? Of course, the enemy wants the exact opposite, right? So when you're accused by your enemy, he wants you bound up. He wants you feeling like this is never going to end. It's never been enough. It's never good enough. It's never complete. It's never fulfilled. There's always something left undone, unfinished, unworthy, unwhatever that would be when the enemy attacks you. Uh, and you've probably heard some of these things. I'm going to kind of go through a little list of them. Um, they may have been around so long, you just feel like it's your own words in your head. Like, these are just my thoughts. These are things I, I, I struggle with, I battle with, but they're, they're just things that have been in my head, and they've probably been there for your entire life. Well, the interesting thing about it is often, not to say always, but often, it'll start with a you are accusation in second person. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't talk to myself in the second person. That's your thing, you know, whatever. But um, if you hear an, a you are accusation in your mind and your thoughts, that's probably a good indication that whatever's coming next is coming after you to break down your identity in Christ. Here are a few just to see if you resonate with these. Uh, you're never going to amount to anything in life. You're a mistake. Nobody wanted you to be born in the first place. You're fat. You're ugly. You're stupid. Your life is a mess. In fact, you're leading people astray. You would actually do God a favor if you just committed suicide and got yourself out of the way. You're a failure. You've committed the unforgivable sin. You're out of God's reach now. You're a terrible parent. You're a pathetic husband or wife. You're a disappointment as a son or daughter. You're alone and you'll always be alone. You're hopeless. You're always failing. You're unlovable. You're worthless to God, yourself, and others. Three that I hear personally all the time, and this is just a peek into my own brain and, and the mental battle that sometimes I'm in. I hear, you're a disappointment. I hear, you're always letting people down. And I hear, you're pathetic. Those are the things that come into my mind. I think this morning, if any of those sound familiar to you, I think we just need to call them for what they are. And that is lies from the pit of hell, right? They are pure evil, meant to steal and kill and destroy the good life that God has already purchased for you. So in your life, just we're gonna get into the belt of truth in a little bit and some spiritual armor of God, but let's just like stake a flag in the ground, you know, and just be like, that, that is not true. And recognize those and work against that with the truth. Think back to uh, Steve Harris last week as he talked to us about our identity in Christ, who God has claimed for us to be and what he's done, what he's accomplished. That's what we stand up inside and that's what we recognize. Um, so this is going to be our first little pause and break. We've done a lot. We talked about some things going on here personally, you know, in our own church, my own family, those sorts of things. We've looked at sin and how unconfessed sin um, essentially opens us to have the enemy in our lives in a way that we do not want. And uh, I know God's got us on a journey this morning as we walk through these things. And I guess I would just encourage you to pray like, Lord, what do you have to say to me now? Like what journey is, am I on as I move forward? And if you've, if you've been wanting to, to write a couple things down, take down some notes, we're gonna take about 20 or 30 seconds. Just ask God, God, what do you have to say to me thus far?
Amen to that. I know God speaks to his people, and I know he's been speaking to me through all of this. Alan, I'm going to ask you to come up if you wouldn't uh, just do us a little favor here. Um, so thank you for taking that time. And I, I pray that the Lord would just uh, meld those things into our hearts. Uh, one of the things I just want to show in like a physical, actual on-stage example is when the enemy attacks and make some of those accusations. If I look at my own life and I'm thinking, okay, I hear these thoughts, I'm pathetic, I'm worthless, I'm letting people down. And when I begin to say those things are true about myself, essentially what I do is I reach out and I make a handshake with the enemy and I say, yeah, you're right, that is true about me. And, and to see this actually happen, I hope kind of turns your stomach a little bit. You know, where you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, that's not what I want. I'm not saying yes to that. So as we make this turning point, part of what I hope we do is we just rip that hand back out. And it's like, no, that's, that's not true about me. That's not my identity. That's not who I am in Christ. And we say to the demonic world, represented wonderfully by Alan, that's, that's, not, that's not true, right? Thank you, Alan, for doing that. Um, so uh, are you ready for the turning point? Are you ready for the light? The, fir the first two uh, sections there probably felt a little bit dark, a little bit heavy. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, they are. So as we make the turn, um, let's, let's realize that the battle is already won. Amen? The victory is accomplished. So let's take that ground back. If we've given up ground in our lives with unconfessed sin, let's take that back. Let's make that right, because that's not how our story ends. That's not who we are. Satan and his demons are not more powerful because Jesus and his perfect shed blood for us is the most powerful thing in our lives. Today we can make our stand, maybe like bond together as the body of Christ and we get to say together collectively, get behind me, Satan. Those days are over. You don't have place in my life. You're not gonna reign in my life like that anymore. I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And that would be something that we would really latch onto this morning. The victory is won. Jesus was and is victorious over sin, over death, and over darkness. Carl Payne says this, and I just want to put it on the screens for us this morning. Truth sets people free. He's talking out of John chapter 8. Standing on the truth and the delegated authority of Jesus Christ slams the door in the face of demonic bondage, breaking their noses. I love that. When demons realize that a Christian is no longer paralyzed through fear and will shoot back, the demons start to hide behind trees rather than march in the open dressed in red coats. Demons are not stupid. They do not enjoy divine retribution. Amen to that. I'm going to put a couple passages on the screen. Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God, and he delivers them. Psalm 91, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now, when, when I was encouraged in my life um, not that long ago to take a stand against the enemy in my life, the first thought I had was, can I do that? Like, that was literally, I was in the living room at home and my sister was visiting from uh, out of the country, actually, and we were talking through some of these things, like, Scott, you need to do that. And I was like, oh, I don't even know if I can. And if that's you this morning, if we, if we think about making a stand against our enemy in the demonic world, um, if you have that, that kind of check in your spirit where you're like, ah, I don't even, like, is that, is that possible? Can I do that? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's probably because we have the unconfessed sin. And it's almost like the subconscious of our spirit knows that there's unfinished business with the Lord. So for some of us in this room, um, as we're thinking about that, I'm guessing there's a lot of us who would say, 
I've got a lot of territory to take back. There's a lot of things that I've not made right with the Lord, things I've just let slide, things I've been like, ah, that's just everybody. We all, we all deal with that, all the little white lies, all the whatever. And that can accumulate an amount into a lot of things. So maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, you're talking about ground or land. Uh, I've got a continent <laughs> that, that I'm gonna need to confess. And I'm right there with you. When we first started talking about this, I felt like I had a globe, like an entire world that I need to confess. And you know, some of us are not spring chickens in this room. You may have a whole life where you're like, man, I just, I never related to God that way before. And there's a lot of business I need to do to come into right standing with him and close those doors, confess sin and live in the freedom and the truth that comes with a clean slate because the blood of Jesus is sufficient. Uh, Rich, Rich Miller said, uh, and then the very first sermon that we started out the whole thing, he said, uh, the demonic world and evil is attracted to sin like flies are attracted to garbage. But the demonic world and evil is attracted to the sin in our lives, unconfessed sin, like flies are attracted to garbage. And we could spend our whole lives swatting flies, you know, trying to get that out of our lives. But I would offer this morning that there's a lot better way to go about that. Why don't we just get rid of the garbage, right? Like, let's remove the sin. Let's remove the garbage in our lives, the sin that's there. Let Jesus do what he came to do and to make us white, to make us pure, to make us holy. And we stand on that, guess what? The flies go with the garbage. And so I want to introduce you to uh, something through Freedom Ministries that is called the four C's. We're just going to put that up on the screen for you. You might want to take a picture of that as well. It's not complicated, uh, but just to have in front of you and to remember. And the, the four C's stand for confess, cancel, command, and commit. And confession is, is, is exactly what it would sound like. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? I'm guessing that probably took on like a little different context and meaning to us this morning. Like it may have been like posted around your house before, a little verse you memorized back in Awana or whatever. But man, when you, when you think about the fact that like you don't want ground in your life given to the enemy, I don't want ground in my life given to the enemy, and the beautiful power that is in that passage that God is faithful and just and will remove and cleanse all unrighteousness, all sin, all transgression, all iniquity. That is a powerful statement and one we're standing on. The second thing that we would do in interacting with this is to cancel. And this is done on God's authority. God is the owner. He's the creator. He's the possessor. We are his. We are his children, blood-brought Christians. So when we cancel ground, we ask that to be done on the authority and the power of Jesus. Um, commanding would follow right after that. And this is kind of where it gets back into that place of like, okay, do I have the ability to command something out of my life? Well, when the sin is gone and you've turned into a sheet of perfect granite, like imagine yourself that way in the spiritual world if we're going back to that rock climbing analogy, if, I, if the face of me is a perfect sheet of granite, you could just imagine the evil forces just scratching and clawing on their way down, trying to grab something and there's nothing to hold on to. That's what you're asking God to do for you when you confess your sin and you ask him on his authority to cancel that ground. And then you stand on the authority of Jesus. Demons have power, they have no authority. Demons have power, they have no authority. That is because the authority is God's. The authority lies in Jesus and his perfect shed blood for us. So when we stand on the authority, the delegated authority as sons and daughters, heirs uh, in the family, 
we get, to, we get to use that authority on our behalf to say, you know what, because I'm a daughter of the king, because I'm a son of the king, I get to tell you, you have no place here. I'm God's and you don't belong. You're a squatter and now you have to leave. And then lastly, we will commit ourselves back to the Lord. And that's like a resubmission, right? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will, he will flee. He doesn't sidestep, right? He doesn't like take some battle things, just kind of set them down for a little bit, a little bit, waiting to pick them back up. He will flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Stand strong, and he will flee from you. I'm just going to give you a little example of what this might sound like, you know, in your life. And this is a prayer that I pray pretty often. Um, when I start in, you might chuckle a little bit, but th this, this is a part of my life. Um, Lord, I confess in my relationship with my wife, Nichelle, uh, my pride, my arrogance, um, just the inability not to be soft and not to listen. Um, Lord, I know that is not the man that you created me to be. That's not who I want to be. And I, I bring that to you now, and I ask you to take that. That is yours. Wash me clean with the blood of Jesus. Uh, Lord, would you cancel any ground that any enemy or power of darkness would try to latch onto me over that? I want that door shut. Slam it tight. I want it done. That's not uh, what I want in my life. I want you, Lord. I want your truth. I want your righteousness. Um, and then on the authority of Jesus, Lord, thank you that I can even look at my enemy in the eye and say, you do not belong. I say today, I'm a son of the king, I'm bought by the blood of Jesus, and I want righteousness and truth in my life. And then I commit that back to the Lord. Like, Lord, teach, teach me how to be humble. Teach me to listen. Teach me to be kind. Teach me how to be who you created me to be and that I would lay down my life for my family and my wife. So th that's just like a simple way. Like whatever comes by way in your life of sin, just turn that right around and walk through each one of those four C's to confess that to the Lord. Cancel any ground that the enemy might be lunging at to try to grab quickly and take from you. Command that out of your life and then commit that back to the Lord. And then, like we said in the, in the first part, walk back into freedom with Jesus. That's what the whole thing is about. Your life is about living free in the truth and the beauty of the gospel and the life that God has come to give. And you're not supposed to be in bondage. You're not supposed to be held down. God has purchased that for you, and he came to bring the abundant life in Christ. And that's how we kind of walk into that. Um, scripture passages that, you know, would echo this would be like, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Present yourself uh, to God as one uh, alive from the dead and your body as an instrument of righteousness to God. We are sons and daughters of God, of the, of the God of the universe who commands ultimate authority. So I'd encourage you to bring, bring a new habit to your life. Start a new spiritual life cycle of when the spirit brings a specific sin to your mind, just deal with that quickly. Don't let the sun go down on it. Just take care of it immediately. Don't leave that door flapping open in the wind um, in a way that you know, could be a good analogy to imagine that. Like, man, if I have sin in my life, that door's just flapping free. Like, that's not how I want to live, you know? So as sin enters and that door's open, slam it shut. Sin enters again. Confess it. Slam it shut. Sin enters again, because that's our lives, right? We, we, this is a constant thing. It's not like one and done. Sin enters in your life. Confess it, slam it shut, and live in the life that God has for you. Um, and let's be honest, along the way, for remembering back to everything, a little less transgression will probably go a long way in all of our lives, that willful walking into things. I'm gonna put up Colossians chapter two, verses 13 and 15. And just pay attention to the language of this because it's really bringing out the heart of what God is saying to us. 
When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. It's some of what we've just been talking about this morning, that legal charge that's against us. Christ canceled it. That stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen to that. The power of God right in that passage, living out everything we've just talked about. Um, we're going to take our second pause here and just like, I just ask God, like, okay, as I think about those, the confessing and canceling, commanding and committing, the journey that I'm on, the sin that's been in my life, just, we probably come from a lot of different walks. None of us have the same exact story. And so as God has been leading you, I pray that you just go to him and say, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? What are some things I need to drop today? What's the stuff in my life that that's a flapping door and I need that to end today. I want a right relationship with you. I want to stand more in freedom and less in bondage because that's more of how my life feels. So if there's things you need to do with God, I'd just encourage you to do that now. Spend just 20 or 30 seconds with him and just ask the journey that he's got on with you. Thank you, Lord. The passage that comes to my mind is, he that begins a good work in you will accomplish it. The, the work that God started in you, he will complete it. He will fulfill it. Uh, the last thing we're going to do this morning is talk about, okay, as we make our stand against the enemy and we start to wipe the slate clean and we, re, we receive the forgiveness of God, then we start to put on our, our, our armor, right? So we're, we're in this battle and as sons and daughters, like warriors, uh, that armor that we put on, what does it even look like? We're going to put that passage on the screen. This is from Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going to read the, the thing in its entirety, but if you want to kind of just read through it while I'm just saying one or two things here, feel free to read through that, and then we'll dive into the armor itself. One thing that's really cool about the armor of God, and I didn't know this until I started studying this a little bit, is that in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, there's four different chapters where God talks about the armor, and it's his armor. Isn't that cool? This is his armor that he is giving to us. And he's already talked about this in the book of Isaiah. So when it shows back up again, in that context, people would have recognized that. You know, the, the, um, the people in Jesus' day studied a lot of Old Testament scripture. And so as that was written and that was accounted, this would have sounded very familiar to them. This isn't armor that is in the corner, dusty and beat up and dented. And we're like, brushing the cobwebs off of it and trying to repurpose it for the kingdom of God. This is armor that God, that is his, his armor that he's taken, he's given to us. And he's saying, son, daughter, put this on for the battle because this is who I am. The first thing in the armor is the belt of truth. And if we lose the battle in our minds, which often is based on a loss of the truth, then we lose the battle for our emotions our hearts, our decisions, and things can go downhill very fast, can't they? When we lose a grip on the truth, things can spin out of control really fast. Your enemy also wants to undermine your identity, which would be the truth about you. So think back to Steve last week when he talked through who we are in Christ. The enemy is wanting to undermine that, uproot that, and this is where we say no more. We put on the belt of truth and we say, that is not true about me. I'm not making that handshake agreement. 
I'm pulling my hand back and I'm standing and living in who God has said that I am. Uh, remember even back to the Garden of Eden when Satan, plan Satan planted doubt. He tried to undermine that. Did God really say? And I think those are the things that we hear so often. Ah, is that really what's going on? Is that really what that means? And man, we just can slam that down really quick and say, this is truth. Um, think, think through even scripture that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is truth, and we have the truth of scripture. Jesus is the way, the the truth and the life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Truth is who God is. And when we put that on, we're putting on who he is. Let's be honest, people. People full of the truth. Take every thought captive. Stand on the rock, the firm foundation, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Uh, your enemy wants you locked up and passive, so resist. Put on the belt of truth and stand firm and fight. The breastplate of righteousness uh, this piece of armor uh, over the chest would specifically have been designed to protect all your vital organs and potentially even most importantly, your heart. So our enemy seeks to destroy our heart, constantly accusing us before God. That's accounted in Revelation chapter 12. And then constantly accusing us in our minds, just like we talked through earlier, all those you are, you are, you are, constant accusations. Our enemy will try to attack our faith by pointing out how often we fail. Pick up your breastplate of righteousness, put it on, remember whose it is. That's God's righteousness. He has given to you. When you put on God's righteousness as a breastplate over you, there's nothing that can penetrate that. That is impenetrable. Uh, this righteousness is given to you, and then we live righteously and holy as we make good, holy, righteous decisions. So it's like a dual righteousness, one given to us, and then one that we live out in our lives. Your strongest and most resilient defense against the accuser is the righteousness of Jesus. Your strongest and best defense against your accuser who is constantly accusing you is the righteousness of Jesus given to you that you put on and you get to wear. Spurgeon said this. He said, think for a moment of the devil chiding us for sin. Oh, that we could laugh at this hypocritical accuser, for he hates to be despised, but very well deserves it. So laugh at him, virgin daughter, laugh him to scorn. That's a beautiful little quote as we think about who we are in Christ and where we really stand and what is standing essentially even for us. So remember, your enemy wants you locked up, he wants you passive, take up your breastplate of righteousness and stand and fight. Uh, the boots of the gospel of peace. These aren't flip-flops, uh, they're not even shoes. These are like military-grade boots, which would have been even studded with metal for traction. This is like non-slip. If I'm taking my stand, I'm not even gonna slide in the mud. That's the boots of the gospel of peace. Your enemy is gonna do its best to make you feel unworthy, dirty, unclean, undeserving of the gospel. And yet in the middle of our sin, when we were still broken, still sinners, Christ died for us. Your enemy will do their best to rattle your confidence, shake your foundation, steal your peace, steal your joy. And yet in the middle of any attack, a peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We will share the gospel, no doubt, 
But in this situation, it might even be more of a daily preaching of the gospel to ourselves. Restore unto me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. And that is non-slip traction as we take our stand against the enemy. So remember, your enemy wants you locked up and passive. Resist. Take up the boots of the gospel of peace and stand and fight. The shield of faith. Take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. I might answer the, ask the question, like, how do I know the difference between my own flesh and flaming arrows that come at me from my enemy? Most people believe that the flaming arrows of that attack are sudden and out-of-nowhere thoughts that land in our brains and honestly most likely surprise you. These can be sudden images or thoughts that would be often uh, extremely violent, gruesome, potentially highly sexual, often spun, exceedingly dark and wicked, wicked, and then there's an instant accusation for even having that thought enter your mind right after. It's a double whammy. Um, often this will happen in a worship service, maybe when you're reading scripture, when you're sitting down to pray. It can even just completely happen at random. It's like an onslaught attack to just disrupt your train of thought and then throw you into guilt. Spurgeon, Spurgeon said this, when I was seeking the Lord, I distinctly remember the most hideous blasphemies imaginable rushed through my mind. They were none of my own inventing, nor had I reviewed them from my memory. They were the immediate suggestions of the demonic who is determined, if possible, to drive me to despair. So the shield of faith, as we think about that, it's, it's big enough. It's tall enough, it's wide enough, and it's powerful enough because God is big enough, tall enough, wide enough and powerful enough to shield us from those attacks. Psalm 5 says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Remember, your enemy wants you locked up. He wants you passive. Resist. Take up your shield of faith and stand and fight. Uh, lastly is the helmet of, oh, nope, not lastly, the helmet of salvation. Your enemies will relentlessly try to get into your head. Uh, try to question, to get you to question your salvation and the sufficiency of Christ and the finished work of Jesus. Spurgeon said this about the enemy attacking our faith. He said, in this, no doubt Satan and his demons are trying to aim a blow at the honor of God. They're well aware that mournful Christians often dishonor the faithfulness of God by mistrusting it. Thus, they think if they can worry us until we no longer believe in the constancy and the goodness of God, of, the God of the Lord, they will then have robbed God of his praise. So rest in the assurance of your salvation. There is now nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus. That's Romans 8, 38 and 39. You know how it goes. For I am convinced, not pretty sure, not mostly sure. I am convinced. Paul is saying, I am rock solid, convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, things present or the future, powers, height or depth, anything else in all creation could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May that just soak into our souls. Remember, your enemy wants you locked up and passive. Resist. Take up the helmet of salvation and take, make your stand and fight. Now lastly, uh, and that's on purpose. This is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, we don't head into battle without armor, do we? Like, that, that would be foolish. The first thing we would do is we would put the armor on and then go into battle. We suit up, and then we make our stand. You may have noticed that this is actually even the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. And the application here with the Word of God is that it's written and it's spoken. So God speaks through His Scripture. Spend time in His Word. 
Meditate on scripture, memorize scripture, have scripture in your house, on your bathroom mirror, you know, put it in places, just saturate yourself with the word of God. And then secondly, expect God to speak to you through the power of his spirit. God communicates. And don't, don't forget that part. Anticipate the word of God communi- communicating with you and leading you through life. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing uh, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is power. It does not return void. James 4, 7, if you submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Your enemy wants you locked up. He wants you passive. He wants you in bondage. He wants you held down. Resist. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and make your stand and fight. So as we close this morning, um, I hope you have new lenses. I hope you've got the ability to interact with somebody in your life that is sharing with you something about the spiritual world. And you can meet them there. And you know there's more power and there's more beauty in the person and the work of Jesus. Um, as you live your life, we have the ability to, to walk through confession and repentance on a, on a daily practical basis. Use those four C's, confess, cancel, command, commit, and submit yourself back to the Lord. And that will allow us to live in the freedom and the accomplished work of who Jesus is. Uh, recognize that you are accusations and put an end to them. Like rip your hand back from that conversation. Like, no, I'm not making handshakes like that anymore. That's not true. That is not who I am. I know my identity in Christ and that is not shakable. And then lastly, put on the full armor of God. As you walk out into your spiritual battle, wear each one of those elements. Remember that is from God given to you to fight in that battle. That armor is his. He's given it to you for you to wear. This is one really cool thing that I'll just share in closing. Uh, Jesus in the Gospels talked a lot about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is at hand. Remember that? What phrase is never used in any of scripture at all? The kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness never appears in scripture. And why is that? Satan doesn't have a kingdom. He never has had a kingdom and he never will have a kingdom. And that's probably why he's trying so hard to undermine God's. God is king of kings, king of kings, lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning of the end. And we can uh, latch ourselves to him. Enjoy your relationship with God. Uh, here's a little fun fact. Demons despise worship music. Play it all the time. They, they do not like worship music. Put it on. Play it regularly. Put it in your house. Have that around. Just saturate yourself with the beauty and the truths of Scripture through music and God's Word. Um, and then in all of this, and please hear this at the very, be- at the very beginning, because this is extremely important to our hearts and where we're coming from. We must never become so focused on fighting the powers of darkness that we forget to serve Jesus. Do not get so focused on the powers of darkness in your life that you, you, you overlook the real true reality is that we are here to serve Jesus, to live freely and to glorify him. That's what God came to give us. Stay God-centered, stay God-saturated, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of, of our faith. I hope this morning has been a blessing to you.